My name is Seth Elliott Santoro, and I'm an intuitive business coach to LGBTQ plus game changers. And I'm so excited to share with Pearl today. This is Pearl, and I'm so excited to have you back for another Conversations with Pearl. And today I have a really special guest who's been an inspiration in my life over the last six weeks, and I've gotten to know him from my special friend, Julie DeLuca Collins. And we're going to talk about a book that I've been using over these past few weeks to help me through the loss of our son, Matthew. But today I'm excited to bring you Seth Elliott Santoro, who is an intuitive leadership expert healer, reframer, and smiletologist. You got to smile when you say that, right? He's a spiritual consultant, intuitive yep. bestseller coach, psychic medium, animal communicator, HR advisor, speaker, bereavement facilitator, and death expert. Seth is also a three-time number one international bestseller, author of Smile from the Inside, From Grief to Grace, and Finn and the Ferocious Flu, with so many more, with many more self-help and children's books on the way. Seth's vision is to inspire 1 billion humans to heal, therefore, from smiling from the inside. As an intuitive business coach and healer to the LGBTQIA Game Changers, which I love watching him do this every day, Seth combines his passion for corporate America, coaching acuum, and metaphysical gifts of intuition and mediumship. Ultimately, he partners with clients to identify the root of our challenges, heal ourselves from inner strifes to find happiness again, and reframe and re-engage our past, present, and future, enhancing our intuitive abilities and mentor us to build a better legacy, future, and fulfilling life for ourselves and everyone around them. Seth, welcome to the show. Hi, Pearl. I'm so excited to be here. So happy to have you. So, so you're coming from California, right? That's right. Los Angeles, right. baby. Right. Hollywood, actually. Yay. So I used to live in Venice Beach many, many moons ago. No way. Yeah, I, I love that. it. We'll have to talk about that later, but okay. I got fun stories. But so I've been <laughs> following sure. you on TikTok. I met you through Julie in August. You know, I everybody knows I lost my son and I, I called Julie. I'm like, I need to get away. This house is like too heavy. I don't feel like I can get focused again. And I go up to Julie's and she introduces me to you. She's like, hop in here real fast and meet my friend. And so I have been just so like, you really made me smile a lot through some of these challenges and mm -hmm. your book smile from the inside out is like so much fun. I actually shared it at my business court um, meeting last week. I did a little education oh, yeah? moment with it. Yeah. No way. Yeah, I, so I cool. did. I love, I love the M, the mock acceptance. I actually turned, I sold my story, but I turned it into a business as well. So it was really, really cool. Wow. But so tell us about yourself. Tell us about a little bit about yourself. And I love for you to share um, your stories of the of the kidnapping. Oh, you're like, you're going right in there. We're going right in. Sure <laughs> got there. Um, I let's see about myself. Well, I mean, every time I hear like a bio, I, I like I feel humbled, like and, and I'm so honored to be here. And it's just so humbling to like, yes, everything I do is what you said. I just um, it's still really tough to to understand that that's what i'm doing like creating a life where one billion people are healing right in some way emotional healing and smiling from the inside you know um so i'm a psychic medium um i'm married uh, to a man i live in hollywood um i i am you know i coach clients um i i actually also help people become bestsellers for the books that they want to write within um 
And I am a fun guy and I love to laugh and I love to smile. And, you know, I'm very, I can be very emotional as well. Um, and I've overcome a lot in my young little life. I can't really say that anymore being in my forties, but um, I've learned a lot and I've learned a lot of what to do and what not to do. And I've learned that bereavement and chaos uh, and, and grieving is messy and not linear and does not make sense. And it, uh, for me, when my, it all started, right? Like 10 years now, like 12 years ago, I had a boyfriend at the time who zero converted to HIV positive. And so I was not, we were not HIV. We were both HIV negative and then he converted to HIV positive. And it was the days that followed that I knew that we and he more specifically, was going to go through hell. And I had been noticing that I went through sort of similar stages every time something major or traumatic happened in my life or someone died in my life. So I decided, okay, I'm going to literally like document kind of like every day how I'm feeling, what's going through my mind, all this stuff. And about six to 12 months later, I had like the first version of Smile from the Inside, um, which now doesn't exist anymore. But the first version was just important for me to document and get everything down. So I I, I created this kind of updated model to Dr. Kluber Ross's five stages of loss or dying into what I call the five stages of healing. Um, I think I answered your question. And then you want to go right into the well, hold on. Let's, let's, so let's okay. talk. I want to talk about documenting yeah. because, okay. you know, I know that's something I've been doing a lot with the loss of Matthew. And, and yeah. you know, I've always journaled. The journal has been a big thing. But lately, I've been finding myself like really trying to document my feelings so that I understand when they show up later. Because like I've, I've mentioned to you before when you were, you were guesting on our um, Shira League is that yeah. I realized I've had that grief fog, right? And like, mm -hmm. when I could go back and I could start reading what I documented, I was like, oh, that's, I was doing this, I was doing that, you know, I was just getting up and existing. I was just going to that meeting. I wasn't being participating. I was just sort of like in that fog. So I love that you talk about documenting and journaling. And, and I think it's, I think you would agree too, that it helps us get those feelings that the, like for me too a lot of the negative talk that i have in the front of my brain get it out yeah. so i can get to the file cabinets in the back of my brain that really <laughs> out, right so yes. so yes. tell us like when you when you're doing the documenting are you like uh, how do how do you what's the best environment for you to do the documenting because i know like for me for journaling it needs to be quiet it needs to be in the morning i'm either sitting out front in my porch swing or on my back of my lanai so for you, what's the optimal place for you? Can you envision that, right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, at the time, I was working at a, a an interesting job in Mexico. So I would have a lot of alone time in the car um, where I wasn't driving. There was someone else driving. Um, and so I, I documented a lot there. But I like to be alone. Um, I like, I can do it anywhere, to be honest. Um, the bathroom is also a really like awesome place. Like that's where I have some amazing thoughts. Um, and I do like to be alone. So I like to put on some music. Sometimes, sometimes I put on the same music um, that I know is going to evoke and uh, it will allow me to emote. So, um, but I do, I do find myself like, I do like early in the morning. Um, 
or I just like snuggling up on a on a couch or a, or a love seat by myself and just kind of writing or nowadays it's talking into a phone right and it's transcribes for me I think where you feel safe that's what I want to say yeah, yeah, I agree that, that that's safe. And I love you said that too, because I actually have a notebook in my purse too that I carry with me. Oh, no and way. If I, don't, if I don't have it with me, then I'll use my phone and start recording or I'll, you know, everybody says I, I text like I type, but I type really fast. So <laughs> I'll do it on my phone really quick, you know, if I have yeah. a thought or something that comes up. So I love that. So, yeah, so I want to hear, like you went through some traumatic stuff in your life and, and you know, you shared in the Shira League some of that trauma and like, you know, you shared about, the situation in Mexico where you were kidnapped and you know that was something pivotal in your life and it, you know I would love you to share that and how it changed your outlook and how it created the the path that you're on today yeah sure I'll, I'll condense the story so it's it's concise um it this, this was about a year and a half or so after my boyfriend then now ex-boyfriend um I was working at this job in Mexico um, and we had uh, armored vehicles all over the place. Um, and uh, we were constantly pulled over by military or police. This was, again, in Mexico. And this one time, it just didn't seem right. Um, and we were surrounded by cars. We I was held at gunpoint um, for at least nearly an hour. You know, um, I do speak Spanish fluently. So that helped and hindered, I think. And I would get upset and then the guns would get closer to my head. Um, and I knew I could tell the different, I could tell that it was not just the regular police. Like they claimed they were the police. I, I could tell that it was uh, pretty, it was what they call now narcos, but it was a drug cartel. Um, especially when they asked me about it openly, like, are you in this, this particular drug cartel? So I, during the interaction, it was 45 minutes. I don't know what saved me, whether it was Hillary Clinton, because the company I worked for at the time, the owners were best friends of the Clintons. I don't know if it was the fact that I spoke Spanish. I don't know if it was the fact that I threatened them with the local lieutenant because I had his number in my phone. I don't know how I got out of that situation. But after the hour-long experience with, you know, with guns to my head, I basically like decided that I didn't want to die in that moment. So I was like, take the car if you want to take the car, but like, we need to make a decision here. So finally, you know, after staring me down many times, the head guy there, the jefe, he finally decided to, he said, okay, you can go. Now, within a minute, everyone was gone. Every car was gone. So another, yet another indication that it wasn't just a regular police pulling over. Plus they trashed the car and all that stuff. So we were on our way to one of our ranches. It was lemon growing. Um, and so when he got to the branch, you know, I spoke to my boss who totally denied that it was the cartels. Um, my security guard spoke to his boss. They were like, yes, it's definitely the cartels. And then I called my boyfriend when I got to where we were going and I cried. Like that's when I don't even know how I didn't cry this entire time. Um, but that's when it hit me like, oh my God, this is just, this just happened to me. Um, and mind you, I had been pulled over many, many, many times before, but this one was different. Um, so I cried, I was convulsing, shaking, it was bad. Um, and I, it took about 20, 30 minutes to like put myself back together. And then I had to finish the day. And luckily the next day <laughs> I was leaving Mexico and, um, and I kind of swore to myself, I would never go back there. Um, 
which lasted about five years. But anyway, um, it was, it was basically, I mean, that, that happened. And for, you know, the, the month or so afterwards, I felt fine. Like I felt, I kept thinking about it and it was crazy. And I, I was like, wow, did that actually happen? It felt like it was a dream as opposed to real. And, but I knew that there was something going on. I knew that there was something going on with my body too, because I didn't feel quite right. Um, some days I would wake up amazingly happy. And then the next I would be like, just in the depths of despair. Um, and I couldn't figure out why that was happening, even though I had written the book at that time. Right. And I, and I, I knew what kind of like the stages that I believe happened to us. So it was about six weeks later, my nephew was born and I got a call from my boss that my best friend slash security, other security guard was kidnapped and the car was also kidnapped. So the car was taken and, you know, the car was actually taken and he, he, my security guard was taken in another vehicle. Um, and so that was, to me, that was the worst thing I could have heard. And it brought back everything. And that's when I believe that I really started to feel the emotions that I had been avoiding or my body had been protecting me against for the previous six weeks. You know, like if you think about the smile method, right? And we think about S is for shock. Obviously, I was in shock for quite a while. And then moxceptance, the moxceptance is the stage that I explained between the four to six weeks where some days I feel great, great, everything's fine. And then the following day, I couldn't even get out of bed. And then this was the I, this was the in overwhelmed him. So when I found out he was kidnapped, luckily later that night, they found him on the side of the road. I mean, he had been beaten to a pulp and had somehow gotten to a hospital. Um, that was when, I mean, that's when I got chills. That's when I couldn't sleep. And it was several weeks of, of me just emoting and I was angry and I was depressed and I was um, embarrassed. Like I didn't want to tell anyone what had happened to me. So during all of that in overwhelmed time, my boss called me at the time and was, and said to me, Hey, um, you had a, so you had a tough time in Mexico. And now that, you know, this guy has been kidnapped. Um, what do you think about going back to Mexico? And I was like, I don't think I'm going to go back to Mexico. Um, probably ever again. And he said, okay, well, you know, I've thought about you in other roles, but I don't like your job is in Mexico. It's not in, in California, the United States. So um, he said, I'll, I'll look for you within the company. And I was like, you know what? It's okay. Like I want to, I think I want to go out on my own. You know, I want to do my own HR thing. And I was the director of operations and HR for this company. And I told him it wasn't worth my life. And this was my first six-figure job too. So I was so excited about it. Um, you know, I got to travel all the time and, you know, it was great. And I got to work from home and like from Mexico. And uh, it was just amazing. It was the most amazing and stressful job. Um, but it was that that in that conversation that I realized it's not worth my life. $100,000 is not worth my life. Plus, he said to me, I didn't think you would last more than six months. Now, what I have not explained to your audience is that this was the most brutal time in Mexico where I was. And there were four different cartels vying and literally warring for the best route from Mexico City or CDMX to Reynosa, which is on the border of Texas. So they would threaten us through Twitter and, and they would say, like, this is the curfew. We're going to wreak havoc after that. 
So there were bombings, there were beheadings, there were there were literally five heads found two two kilometers away, about a mile, mile and a half from where I slept every night. So he's my boss says to me, you know, when we found the five heads, like, or when they found the five heads, I thought you were gonna leave after that. And I was like, no, like that didn't bother me. Like, obviously, this whole thing was huge PTSD. So I, I say that to say after speaking with him, it took me about six months or a year to even kind of go to the next stage, which was learning, right? So the L is for learning. And what I learned was it's not worth my life and that there's so many other things I can do and that I don't have to put myself in dangerous situations. Um, I also learned that these types of traumatic events are like, can cause major PTSD and can cause so many emotions and one moment you're feeling fine and the next you can't even breathe. And I think that was so important for me to learn. Not that I had to go through that to learn it, but I did go through it and I learned it. Um, and also this is the second time I was held at gunpoint, by the way, by cartels. The first time was in Colombia in 1998, but that's a whole another story for another time. Um, but so through all this learning, you know, just to finish with the smile method, E is for embrace. So it's now 12 years later, and I have gone to Mexico since. In fact, I was just in Mexico last week. Um, there's always a little tinge in me that thinks, okay, they have my passport. They, ha they have a copy of my passport. They have, like, these cartels have all of my information. So they could just look me up or they could just be dinged every time I come into the country. So that still is a, a valid fear. Well, I don't know if it's really too valid anymore, but that's my fear that I have. And so as part of the embrace, I believe embracing is enthusiastically accepting what has happened to us. And so I use that story now as, as a tool as a, to, to provide kind of if I can go through that and survive and like live to talk about it, then I feel like anyone going through anything can talk about whatever they're going through, you know? And as part of the learning too, I learned to share. And I didn't really talk about this. Um, and I still don't tell everyone this story. It's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's a big story. And every time I tell the whole thing, like it, it still has, I, I still have, I'm attached to it. I'm, I'm still feelings to it. I know it was an event. I know it was an experience in my life. Um, and I don't see it as positive or negative, but now I see it as this incredible event that I can now use to help other people. Um, and I think that's also part of embracing is to help pay it forward, um, make the world a better place through my sharing, through my story, through my fear, through my emotions. Um, and yeah, so there's the smile kind of. Yeah. Method. And I I just, I mean, first of all, if I was your mom, I'd be like, you're not going back ever. <laughs> <laughs> you're staying here. <laughs> yeah. I didn't tell her for two years, by the way. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Protector. Yeah. yeah, I did. I didn't yeah. want to do that. I can't imagine being your mom, like hearing that story. And, and I was sitting here thinking, you know, you're talking about this, the smile part of everything, you know, I mean, yeah, like, like that half hour, like half hour later, you start, you break down, right? It's like, it, it's like that shock. I, I was, I was watching a show, Chuck and I have a Netflix, we got hooked on Netflix on the um, designated survivor show with uh, Kiefer ah. Sutherland. Okay. Okay. It's on normal TV, but now it's on Netflix. So yesterday was an episode where um, these two FBI agents, they get in the car after this big bombing and he's sitting there going, I can't hear anything. And at some point I looked at my husband, I go, 
do you feel like that like right now like we just don't want to hear anything like we just mm. you know through the everything that's happening right in our in our world but that shock and that awe and then like you said sharing the, the ptsd you know um it's it to watch you explain that and i haven't gotten all the way through the book so i'm still i'm still re rereading mock acceptance i'm still rereading that but i i feel like for chuck i when i heard you explain some of that too is I feel like Chuck and even in some situations and some of the people that I've met and coached the um, he has been through so much grief that it, it's like he has um, what did you call it? The eye is um, overwhelmed. Him. Yeah. I think he's in overwhelmed him. Like he's mm. like, he's, I think he skipped the M and he's in overwhelmed him. Like he's in the eye right now. And, and it's, it's interesting though, how you explain that. And so I was wondering when you were saying that, do you see people kind of bounce around with a smile? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, also think about it. Me telling you the story or what I told the Shirley a couple weeks ago, like it triggers me again and some emotions come up. Granted, now I have a, I have 12 years. And as I always tell people, like time is always like time is always on your side. Right. So, um, but even now when I tell the story, I have some emotions and then I once again learned this is why I'm telling the story now. I'm sharing the story to inspire and motivate others to share their traumatic stories and then moving once again towards embrace. You know, like, yes, like I'm doing this to pay it forward. I'm doing this because like I know that happened to me and I'm 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 blessed that I lived through it and I'm honored now that I get to share with others in the hopes that they can inspire others to do the same as they're healing. Well, that's good to know because I was like, I, am I going to bounce around? I feel like I would bounce around in the book, you know, and and I yeah. and I even like I watch um, family members and people that I coach like my mom. I've watched her bounce around through trauma she's had in her life. And and I, and I always try to coach her going, OK, mom, let's let's talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, OK, <laughs> you know, but I, yeah. I, I feel like like what you said too, like to get to the E I, in some ways, I feel like. I'm kind of empowering. I feel like I, that's why I was asked about jumping around. I feel like I get to the E sometimes and I empower and then, you know, talk to like, just before we got on here, I was on TikTok and I watched this, there's this young mom, her two kids, she has two little kids. And it, it sounds like her husband is going to be in jail for the rest of his life for first degree murder. And people are attacking her going, well, you should have picked a better father. But, but, but I'm like going, why are you attacking her? It's a situation. Wow. She's going through trauma. So I just kind of put a message to her, you know, on there. And I just thought, you know, like sharing our story is so powerful. And I feel like right now I'm talking on a seminar on, on January 7th. And I feel like my title is sort of um, transitioning through uh, transitioning through trauma, through trauma. You know, mm. how do you walk through it? Cause there's a life before the trauma and there's a life after the trauma. Right. So, Absolutely. so how do you, when you coach somebody and you're working with somebody, how do you help them like walk through that method when they're jumping around? Yeah, sure. So as a coach, I feel like we, first need to go where the priority and urgency is on for whatever we're dealing with and as an intuitive coach i can feel where we need to go and how i coach someone essentially is through every experience of their life because it grief and trauma permeate through everything um especially when you're in the throes of it not when you've had 12 years like myself to process, right? But when you're in six months or four months, like you're in it. So everything, every little incident that happens in our lives, it has this thread of the trauma through it or grief through it. So we might be talking about 
how someone cut you off today and how it triggered you somehow, blah, blah, blah. But like, that's an important conversation because then we learn what to do next time or what not to do next time, or that you need a minute sometimes, you know, to just yell into a pillow or get your anger out, you know? So um, I usually, I always have like ideas for, you know, and I have their homework and we talk about winnings and losses and that sort of stuff, but I always have the framework in mind of where, like, are you S-M-I-L-E today? Where are you today? Um, and let's talk about it. So we use whatever they're going through to identify what they're feeling today. And all we have is the present moment, right? So, and the feelings that we're having now. Um, so let's deal with that. And then I listen to them and I feel into what I also am feeling from the universe or spirit or what have you to either advise them, guide them, mentor them, or just let them cry or just let them be. Um, it's important. Like silence is sometimes important. You know, people need to speak or be heard or feel appreciated, acknowledged, validated. Um, so it's, and, and we laugh, we cry, we do everything in between. Right. Um, we smile, we frown, we get upset, we get ag angry, aggravated. Um, but it's in a safe space. And when I say safe space, I mean, people usually feel safe with me. If they're working with me, I would hope so. Um, but also there's like this level of protection that I, that I feel like I put around everyone that's in conversation with me or all of my clients of love of call it whatever you want, call it beautiful white light, call it golden light, whatever. I feel like their their guides are with me their angels their family their everyone is is with us all for the goodness and the healing of this person and i also people don't know this but even as we're doing sessions together i'm sending people healing sometimes it's more obvious than others sometimes i actually take a minute and I'm like i'm just gonna send you some healing right now but most of the time i just let them talk and i as they talk i'm i send them healing and something about that is a beautiful concoction of like a safe space. So I would love to know, like, when did that, when did you start feeling like you had that gift, like for, to do that? And I, I love too, that you said, because I've had clients come to me and they're like, well, my coach that I used to work with, cause I, I'll ask what they work with, why weren't you working with them? Well, they said they did everything like that they taught me. And I found out they really, it, their life wasn't like what they were teaching me. I'm like, okay, first of all, nobody's life is perfect. I don't care if you are the most successful multimillion dollar coach life is not perfect so if they are telling you that they're living everything then you do need to fire them and you have to understand if i'm going to coach you my life's not perfect like things are yeah. you know i'm i'm coming to teach you my skills my lessons i'm paying some of it forward but life's not perfect right and so like i would love to know like when did that seth for you start you start seeing and feeling that you had that gift i think it was about a year and a year and a half after this event in mexico um, I was dating another person and, but it was the same type of individual who did not reciprocate or show me love the way that I needed it or wanted it. Um, and I, I knew I deserved so much better. So I literally got up while well, I rolled over and I said, I deserve so much better than you. I do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know it sounds harsh, but I deserve better. And the second time I said that, like the next day, something, the world opened up. And I don't, it was almost as if 
the universe and the spirit world was like, okay, you're ready now. Um, whether I was or not probably didn't matter, but it just, I would be sitting with people and I would feel all sorts of, it all started with mediumship, which is tough because you're going from just sitting there and then, and then all of a sudden being aware of someone uh, if someone's mother comes and they, they, they might mention that their mother passed and then the mother starts showing you all sorts of images, signs, symbols, video clips. Um, so it was very overwhelming for the first nine months. And and mind you, when I saw The Sixth Sense, I was like, I want that to be my life. And I was in love with La Grande Medium and I was in love with John Edwards. And so I thought it was the coolest thing that they could speak to, you know, re- deceased individuals or humans or animals. But when it happens to me or when it happened to me, it was very different. And I didn't know any mediums. So I reached out to a couple different mediums that were like in my periphery. And I said, I'm having all these weird feelings and thoughts. And I don't like, can we have coffee? I just want to discuss that with someone. So it took me about nine months to kind of come out again for the second time in my life, you know? Um, and this time was actually harder for people than the first time, like being gay is one thing but like when you tell someone you speak to deceased loved ones or spirit or animals it's a whole nother ball game which i thought was fascinating um anyway back to your question um so every year or two the gift it expands so it all started with mediumship and then i started practicing and studying and in studying i learned that all mediums are psychics but not all psychics are mediums so um, so mediums can speak with deceased loved ones, humans or animals and psychics can, you know, I like to talk about psychics and the word intuitive, like you help people with the not so distant past, the present and the not so distant future. That's what I think psychics. That's what I think I do as a psychic. Then I, I got into Reiki and energy healing and that all started happening. Um, and then all of a sudden I was at a restaurant on like Valentine's day evening and I started to feel like the baby, the unborn baby of the woman next to me. So I gave her a reading. I knew her name. I knew the baby's name was crazy. You know, so then I started doing prenatal readings. I still do them, but um, that's really fascinating and fun. And then, and then all of a sudden I realized I can read animals too. Um, So that was, and I thought they just had to be deceased, but then I realized, then I read for a cheetah in South Africa and they were alive. So yeah, so never a dull moment, and I I can't wait to see what the next gift is going to that's, be. That's so wild, and like you said that it was the second time it coming out. Like it was, I just can't imagine that would be like. I'd be like, oh, that's so cool. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, know? no, yeah. it wasn't that way. Wow, it wasn't wow. that way because I have a lot of Catholic and Christian friends. Yes, and, or people that are afraid of death. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I used to be one too. Right. Like I would. I never like talking about death, but now I'm obsessed with it. And you know, it's funny because like I always <laughs> talked about like, so when my mother-in-law passed, we were with her. Um, she was supposed to come home and it was so, it's so weird because like, I feel like sometimes I get these like premonitions, right? So I w- went to go see her on Monday. She was supposed to come home Wednesday. And so I went to go see her on Monday and I was leaving and Wednesday we had tickets to the Harlem Globetrotters. My son was home for spring break. So we were going to go. And so I'm like, Hey mom, I'm going to swing by with the boys. We'll see you. And then Chuck's going to pick you up afterwards. She's like, okay. So I'm getting ready to walk out the door. And she literally goes, I mean, her roommate, she did this. So matter of fact, her roommate looked, she's like, Pearl. I'm like, what mom, what's the matter? She goes, don't speed. And I'm like, 
I'm not going to speed. It's, it's okay. I'm going to drive home safe. No worries. So Wednesday comes, I'm at the office. I, they call me and they say, um, she's not feeling so great. So why don't you wait till later to come pick her up? She's, you know, we just want to, I'm like, okay, no problem. So I go to the house. I literally, I change into some comfortable clothes. I'm going to hang out for a few hours. And then all of a sudden they call and they go, you need to get here right away. She's taking a turn for the worst. We don't know what's wrong. I mean, literally we're like, oh, what the heck's just happened, right? So we put Chuck and my older son, who's home from college, he, they go in one car and I'm like, I got to go pick up Nate from high school because I need to get him there so we can all get there, right? So I'm driving and I get to the stoplight. I'm like, son of a gun. She told me not to speed. This little stinker knew because we knew she didn't want to. She was going to have to come home for a feeding tube for a little bit, but she was going to come off it, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, mom, I'm going to shoot you. So then I pick up my younger son. We get to the get to the hospital and they've never had loss in their life, right? So I literally mm. pulled them out. I mean, this was so such a shock that her nurses were crying. Her caseworkers were crying. They're like, we don't know what happened. And oh. I knew what it was. She didn't want to come home like that, right? So I'm in the hallway with the boys. I asked the caseworker, can you come out and stand with me to talk with my boys? And I tell them, I said, listen, this is up to you. You can come in here. This will be the most beautiful thing as well as the most sad thing you will ever witness. But if it's you can't handle it, it's okay to stand out here. But I need to be with dad and Mimi. And they're like, no, we want to come in. So we went in and um, my sister all lives in Buffalo. And so she'd gone to massage that day because everybody thought mom was coming home. Right. So we put our guard down. And she didn't have her phone with her. So my brother-in-law is trying to go find her. So he sends his dad to go. So long story short, they get on the phone with us in the hospital. And she is, I'm like, you know, I'm like, John's talking. I'm like, John, you got to be quiet. Let Amy talk. She's struggling. She needs to hear Amy's voice. So as soon as my sister-in-law talks, she's talking to her. I'm like, Amy, you have to tell her it's okay. You need to tell mom it's okay to go. And as soon as she did that, like she took her last breath. It was the most beautiful wow. thing. I mean, yeah. I will never forget it. I loved my mother-in-law to death. She was like another mom to me. But yeah. I remember like that watching that whole process. I'm like, you son of a gun, you knew. You just knew, you know. And I always tell her, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a conversation with you. And, and my father-in-law on top of that, because my father-in-law was passing, he would act like he couldn't respond to anything when the nurses would come in the room. But when they would leave, he would um, mouth to me because he knew I used to be able to read lips really well. And I was like, I'm going to shoot you. And he, again, you know, but I was, I was so amazed, like, like that we know and that intuition and that, that and I was like, I had, that's what she meant. Right. It, I think it's, for me, I think it's powerful. I, I was also the sixth sense going, this is so cool. You know, I just love that, you know, and, and I'm Catholic too, but I know what they say, you know, and I'm like, I have my belief. It's, I have my faith, but I have my overall belief as well. And my priest maybe listen to this and give me a, you need to come to confession, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and so when Matt passed, um, Seth, I knew, like, I was sitting on the couch and I tell my friends, they go, you will know when your child, something serious is wrong. Because I remember sitting on the couch, he had butt dialed us and said he was sorry. And uh, no, that he was on his way home. He swore he didn't have my car. And so I was sitting on the couch, like 20 minutes later, just shaking like a leaf. And my husband's like, you got to stop this. You're going to have a heart attack. We can't, we can't fix it. We don't know where he's at. I'm like, something's wrong. Just something's wrong. And then of course, long story, the next day he was passed. But mm. I just think it's, I think it's a cool thing that you have. I think it's, a, you know, amazing gift that you have. Because I feel like in, for me, I believe God, everybody gives a gift for a reason and they have to pay it forward. And I love that you're paying that forward. So I guess my next question is when it gets loud and like it's, there's a lot, 
like what does Seth do to turn some of it off and do self care for himself? Um, I'm actually very lucky that I can turn it off pretty easily. Um, my husband, on the other hand, he has a harder time turning it all off. I, uh, when I, just when I'm about to do a reading, interesting, I let them come to me the day before or the day of, right? It's always like when I'm getting ready or in my meditations, their deceased loved ones or animals will come to me. And I allow that because I think like, that's cool. Like they're like, hey, let's get prepared, you know? And they're with me the whole day usually. But then when we leave and we end the session, like they know they're they're out of my life. Unless they have something really important that they need to say, they, they might come back. I have made it very clear to whomever, the spirit world, that unless it's of the utmost importance that they hear X and Y and Z, please do not come through or break through my every day. Um, I, I probably will sh shift that moving forward as I spend more and more time kind of in my genius space, like in like, because I, I want to feel more. However, because otherwise you get what I call drive-by readings and some, like I've had in situations where I have gone up to people because I get, I start, my heart starts palpitating and like I start feeling lots of things and then I have to go up to them. And I would say nine times out of 10, it's been amazing. And people are very grateful, but that one time out of 10, it's not good. And it's not great. And it's not because of what I'm saying. It's because of they either deny what I'm saying or they don't believe in mediumship or what, what have you. So, so that's why I made a very clear line. Like you will not break through my every day unless it's really important. So but I am easing up on that um, because if someone needs a message, then they need a message and I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay with, I'm okay with going up to a complete stranger and being like, I don't know if you believe in mediumship, but I have someone here and they want to say this, like I've learned my lesson. I have cried a couple of times when people are like, I don't know what you're talking about or like reject me completely. But um, so I love, I love kind of going on walks that's a really good way for me to kind <clears> of <throat> calm down, if you will. Um, also, I can tell you that I get really, really hungry after readings. So I try and do readings before dinner or like before some type of meal because I get super hungry. Yeah, it's, I don't understand why. Um, probably, I can probably tell you the energy it takes for me because I feel like we have to raise our vibration or our vibrational energy. And then whomever is on the other side has to like kind of descend a little bit in their energy. So I often sweat. It's pretty common, but I sweat during readings. Um, and it's not normal sweat, like at, at working out of the gym, it's just a different type of like nervous sweat. And um, so, yeah, so I eat to calm down too. <laughs> So you burn some calories. You got to get some food. I burn some calories, right? It's <laughs> wild. That'd be and amazing. I love, okay, so for the listeners listening, listen, he's even got boundaries over people coming to what is sent a message. I just love that you even have boundaries over that. That's so cool. Because we have to set boundaries in our lives, right? I mean, Absolutely. it's just so, so important. And um, I just love that. Um, so I want to ask you a question. Who was your biggest influence in your life growing up? I mean, my mother and father, for sure. Um, I, I can't think of anyone else who had such an impact in my life. You know, my mother taught me to listen. My mother is also an empath and she taught me to listen and to be 
supportive and encouraging and kind and compassionate, you know, whereas my father taught me the value of a dollar, how to maintain relationships, how to build relationships, how to maintain the, the material items that we have. Like he taught me how to take care of my car so that when people get into my car after two years, they're like, is this new? It smells new. You know, like that's like, and that's, and that translates to so many different parts of my life. He also, you know, my business ethic definitely comes from him. My moral ethics, my business moral ethics all come from him. Um, yeah, they're the, they're the two probably biggest influences in my life. That's awesome. I love that because not many people will say that their parents were their, that biggest influence and your dad probably was, I'm should- very lucky. <laughs> Your dad probably should have gave me some lessons on keeping my car clean. <laughs> my dad used to be like, young lady. I'm like, dad, I don't want to hear it. That, that would be, that was my friend or whatever. <laughs> and even I, I still carry it over a little bit. My husband ever saw to go, I'm driving the red car today. Do I need to be prepared? <laughs> so we yeah. have fun together. So, um, so Seth, tell me about your family. So you're married. Tell me about your husband and your life there. So yes, yeah, so we are married four years, just 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 four years. Um, and we he is South African, and we met through mediumship friends. So I had friends that were mediums. He had the same friends that were mediums. I went to a a mediumship workshop, and they had already met my husband. Machiel is his name, and they came up to me right after and they're like, Oh my God, you need to meet our friend. He's South African. He's gay. He's amazing. You're going to love him. I stuck, stalked him for a couple of days and then we connected. Um, and then we had this beautiful like FaceTime relationship. Um, and then we met and I just, I, the moment I met him, I was like, Oh, I know I'm going to marry you. I knew it. And I had never felt like that. I even told my mother I was going to marry him. Um, so it didn't just happen just like that, but it took a couple months for us to kind of figure out he was, I was, I had ended something. He was in something, ending something. So it took us a couple months. And then, but in the same year, like several months later, it was like, we reconnected in terms of like, he's like, okay, I'm ready. And I was like, okay, I'm ready. And then within three months we were married. Um, and yeah, like I, he's also a medium. Um, so that's, I don't even know how to explain that. Um, all I can say is that, it's every day is an adventure with him. And I can't tell whether sometimes there's a bug in the house or a, or a spirit in the house because he makes the same noise when he sees a bug versus a spirit. So, oh, that's um, crazy. <laughs> yeah. So it's a crazy, it's a crazy, yeah, it's a crazy, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. And, um, yeah, yeah. I have, so a, that, I have a sister. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. go ahead. I have a sister and I have a niece and nephew and I do want children and they're the closest thing I have to children. Um, and I love them so much, so dearly. Uh, That's so cool. And, yeah. So your story is a little bit like Chuck and I. So I met Chuck and so you're in California. You'll know Knott's Berry Farm. I met him at a yeah. company picnic. Okay. Um, my girlfriend and I are we're we're roommates. So my roommate and I and his roommate and and him were at the company picnic. We ran into them at this at a ride. They were with these two girls, and so we just thought they were you know partner together. So that was back in the day of um, break dancing. I used to be able to do a little break dancing. Not wow. Yes. So I, that's back go. in the day. And Chuck was the running man dancer, right? So he was the running man dancer, and Amazing. I felt so sorry for him. And so we all of a sudden, those girls are gone. The four of us are together. We're hanging out, just chatting, talking. We're in the parking lot now because the park is closed. It's just my car and Chuck's car in the parking lot. 
All of a sudden, they're about to come tow Chuck's car away. I'm like, I got to go. They're going to tow my car away. See you later. Nice meeting you. And we just left to go to my car. And my roommate literally says, you're going to marry him. I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't know his phone number. I don't know where he lives. She goes, oh, he has all of that. You're going to get married. So that was August. By October that year, we were moved in together. And by December, we were engaged. Wow. So it's just wow. crazy. Your story just reminds me of my story. So it's wild. Aww. So fun. Yeah. Like when you... When you know, you know. I, I right. didn't believe. I didn't really believe in that anymore. I thought it was a no offense, but I thought it was a heterosexual construct of like when you know, you know. But I, I it doesn't matter what sex you are, what what who your preference is. Like when you know, you want to be know. with someone. You know, you want to be with someone. Yeah, yeah, it's so so powerful. I just love that. So, what's coming up next for you, Seth? What's on the horizon? Yeah, um, I'm finishing up my second children's book. Um, the first one was, a, was it's called Finn and the Ferocious Flu. It was about a, a family going through a fictitious pandemic um, and how they navigate through that. Um, the second book is um, going to be called Scout and the Serious Split, I believe. And um, it'll be coming out April or May of next year. And it's going to be, it is about two women getting a divorce and how their children navigate through that um, with coaching and therapy um, and like their, just how to, all my books are, are, are based on the smile method and the smile, I call it the smile adventure series for kids. Um, because I, I tell it in the way of like, you go through the first process through the smile method. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm going to start my third book, um, pretty soon for children. Then, um, they also are, are all going to have some type of LGBTQ plus kind of aspect to it. Not that it, it has to be so blatant. Um, and I'm also, I'm, I have two more books in my mind. <laughs> one is about intuitive leadership and the other one is about how to support others going through traumatic times. Um, I don't think there's enough books out there of how we help others. So um, I'm also looking into like doing more, more paid speaking gigs, maybe even a TEDx talk, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so there's a lot of incredible things happening. I mean, don't get me wrong. My life isn't unicorns and rainbows <laughs> at all. Right? Like right. last year we lost my, my husband lost his mother and that was traumatic for everyone. Um, you know, um, there's just ups and downs every day even. Um, but I'm really looking forward to 2023 as like a year of incredible accomplishments. That's so awesome. It sounds so, I, I can't wait to watch you and do all these amazing things. It's so cool. And I love that you're, you know, you're reaching out to the kids too, because I think it's so important that we help our, our young Absolutely. ones so young. It's so powerful. Okay. So before I do our cards, tell Seth, tell me where okay. they can find you at. Oh, sure. Uh, I am SethElliott.com. Uh, one L one T for Elliot. So I am SethElliott.com or my ha my hashtags and symbols are Seth Elliott Santoro. So at Seth Elliott Santoro for in Instagram, uh, Facebook and TikTok. I'm trying to grow my TikTok as Pearl knows. Um, and yeah, I think that's, oh, and then you can find me Seth E Santoro. Just be careful. If you Google Seth Santoro, you might get a gay porn star. Oh, just no. letting you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah just oh letting you know oh, so google seth elliott santoro or seth e santoro awesome yeah. that's so cool and we're going to share all the links when we post everything too so all right so we're going to do our cards right now seth knows he's going to tell me when to stop so i'm going to shuffle them now seth so tell me when to stop stop okay oh you made me way down the deck 
Ooh, what would it be like if it was easy? Ooh, um, I kind of need the Jeopardy music right now. Um, what would it be like if it were easy? <laughs> I know. I think the purpose of life is to live, and the purpose of life is to enjoy. And I, I think if it were easy, we wouldn't be able to enjoy as much. We wouldn't be able to live as much. We wouldn't be able to appreciate the happiness, the contentment, the, the good times, the joy, the playful times as much. Um, so I think it would be a shame. That's powerful. That is powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. So, well, it's been fun having you on. I can't believe the hours gone Yay. by so fast. I know. So oh my God. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So listen, everybody, if you are looking to find more about your self-care and want to find out how you score, I want to encourage you to go to pearlssurvey.com. That's pearlssurvey. So two S's in there, .com and see how you score. And then let's chat. So before we leave, I want to remind everybody that you come into this world as this little oyster that's a little rough on the outside. But when you open up on the inside, you have your inner pearl. And I hope you go find your inner pearl of greatness. Have a great day. Hi, my name is Pearl Sharenza, and I'm with Women Successful Living. And I want to tell you a little story. You see, once upon a time in the middle of COVID, I noticed that more and more women were overwhelmed. We were having to balance households. We're having to become teachers. We're having to work our job while we're trying to become a teacher. We were sitting in our home with our children and our spouses or our loved ones and feeling overwhelmed. We were lost for where we're going to find space in our own house. So I was feeling that this overwhelm was stressing women out more, that they felt like they could not have a Calgon take me away moment. They felt like everywhere they turn, somebody in the house would find them or their job wanted them on another Zoom meeting. And I just felt so sorry for these women as I spoke with them and felt the pain because I too was feeling sorry. I was feeling sorry that I couldn't go out and do the things I love to do. I could go out, yes, and take a walk and sit on my front swing, but I couldn't go to the community meetings and the fundraiser functions or go have lunch with a friend or go to the movies with my husband or just take a, a moment away from everything that we're responsible for as moms and wives in our homes, right? You become that CEO mom and you're running a household. But then if you're working outside of the household, not only are you a CEO mom, and if you're asking what a CEO mom is, that's a mom who is running the household. Because let me tell you, you're not sitting around eating bonbons every day. You truly are running a business of a home. But then maybe you also work outside of the home. And here you are, you're trying to balance working in the home, working outside the home. And then maybe you have children and you're having to learn how to become a teacher because bless our teachers, they're trying to learn a whole new way of teaching through Zoom. And so as I spoke to the women in my community and my clients, I found they were also feeling all this overwhelm. They were becoming stressed. They were sitting in, in the home with all their children and their spouse and they're going, I'm with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I love you but I don't love you that much. Were you feeling that way too? So I found as they were feeling this way that I had to do something. And every day, about a month after into the pandemic, I decided to try something new. I decided to create a space 
where we could meet via Zoom. And yes, I know another Zoom meeting, really Pearl, but I just knew that was the only way that we could get together. And the rule was you had to go in a room where you could put a note in the door and say, I'm on a break. I'm on a timeout. Whatever you want to call it, you can make that note on your door. Because really, we have to take time for ourselves in order to really take time and care for our family, our loved ones, and our job the way we know we want to and we need to. So what I did is I created what we called our self-care Sunday evening. And it actually became Shiro's is what we ended up naming it. Because we as women, we are the hero of the house. We're the hero of everything we do for our family, our friends, our job, whatever that is that you're responsible for, right? But are you really the hero for yourself? So that became important to me. So one day I decided I want to pour into these women. So I brought them together on a Zoom meeting. We met Sunday evening, 8 p.m. We finished up by 9 p.m. We just had conversations. What was challenging them? What was the pandemic bringing up for them? How were they doing mentally? Were, were they doing something to take care of themselves? And if you heard me before, I say bathtubs and taking baths are not self-care, but really during the pandemic, sometimes that's all you could do was get in a tub with bubbles and take a few minutes for yourself, right? So as we poured into them, I, I noticed that they were starting to enjoy the self-care. They were starting to be less stressed they were starting to communicate better with their family and their, and their loved ones because they could communicate why they were taking time for themselves. They were able to communicate that it's not that I don't love being with you. It's that because I love you so much, I need time for myself. So on Sunday evenings, we worked on things about self-care challenges. We created a challenge of self-care where every day they had to do something. It could be something that took them one minute, or if they wanted to, it could be something that took them an hour. But it was their job to do something for themselves every single day. And then because of that, they they saw that their family, they were worried that their family might feel make them feel guilty. So we started incorporating ways that they could do self-care for ourselves as we also did something with our family, right? So in some cases, we found that we were sitting, we had moms sitting and just watching TV, silly cartoons with their children. That's self-care, right? Or maybe playing a puzzle game or putting a puzzle together. And then when it came to their spouses, we found that they were sitting and finding movies on Netflix or writing, playing cards, or even we gave them a challenge. We have a friend that has these great cards. They're called Better Questions, Better Life. We even would pull a card and have a discussion with our loved one around that card. And then as they were working from home, some of the, our, our professional women were finding that their jobs were having much more demand on them that because they were home, they could actually kind of have more time they could grab for them. Oh, well, you're home all day long, so you really don't need to take a break. So they started finding that some of their jobs and their bosses were expecting them to give more. So we talked about how to set boundaries around our schedules. We talked about how to set boundaries around how much we want to be on Zoom. And as we did that, we found that the women were less stressed and they were actually performing their job performance better. They were having better and more improved relationships with their loved one, with their children. And some of them also had family that were in nursing homes. So we were creative on how to 
spend that time with their loved ones, but also making sure that they were taking care of themselves. So as we did this, I saw that it was a need that needed to continue. So even though the pandemic, is, as we know it today, is over, I found that the women loved this so much, we needed to continue this. And who knew that three years ago when I started this, that it would grow into what we have today, this amazing community of women that we still meet every Sunday evening from 8 to 9 p.m. We talk about things that bring us joy. We talk about challenges we're having in our lives. We're talking about things we're having to overcome. We have some women that are struggling in their marriages. We're talking about how we pour into them and how to help them work through communication we have amazing, amazing guest speakers that come in every month. We've had Jane Pilker come in and talk up to us about our mind and the neurological part of our mind when it comes to our eating and our health and sugar and how it affects our body. We've had Sets and Tora come in and talk to us about the smile method and how we have things such as just the smile within us that can make things like mock acceptance where we're accepting things because we think we have to accept them. Like, for instance, my loss of my son, Matthew, I never knew that when I created this group three years ago almost now, how much I needed these women. And because I have this community of women around me, I met Seth and Seth taught me about mock acceptance. And he taught me that, yes, I was accepting the loss of my son, but I wasn't truly believing that he was lost. And I was sort of like going through the motions. So ever since I have put this group together, this community of women, we have watched the women flourish. We have watched them have less stress. We've watched them communicate better with their loved ones. We've watched them put boundaries around their self-care so that they can achieve the things they want to, so that they can put their cape on first as they pour into their family even better. And ever since we've started this self-care Shiro group, it has grown where we now at our retreats, we have women joining us during our retreats. We meet every year. We have a retreat in September. It's a pajama retreat. You come in your PJs, no makeup. You have about four days at the beach, sometimes the mountains, depending on the year. And we just have sessions and breakout groups on how do we improve on our self-care? How do we continue to communicate our needs to our loved ones? How do we find what our goals are and our visions are? And how do we bring those to fruition? Because how many of you ever sat back and said, I have this big goal and I really want to do it, but nobody believes I can do it. I want you to know that we believe in you and we know that you can do it. And so if this is something that you want to learn more about and come and enjoy a great way to end your week and begin your week, I would love for you to join us because on top of our speakers, we also have an amazing meditation coach where she in, empowers us to sit down and just take some quiet time for ourselves and just be in our own space as we reflect on what we truly want within. And I am so honored to watch the progress and the growth that the women in this community have accomplished. And I cannot wait to see what's coming up for all of them and hopefully for you. And if this is something you would love to learn more about, 
I would love to invite you to come and visit us one Sunday evening. Like I said, it's a great way to end your week and a great way to start your week. What better to know that you've got a balcony of people sitting and waiting for you to join them, have a cup of tea maybe, and just do some laughing, maybe a little crying, but no matter what, know that you've got a girlfriend there to have your back. So if you're ready to check out the Shira League, I would love for you to join us. All you have to do is email me at pearl at wsliving.com. That's pearl at wsliving.com. And I would love to connect you. I hope today you know that we've all come into this world. We're a little oyster. We might be a little rough on the outside, but on the inside, you have a pearl. And I hope you find your pearl of greatness today as you become the Shiro I know you are. 